Thanks, Terry. Uh, why don't we pray uh, before we begin? Verse 11 there says, If anyone speaks, they should do they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Father, we trust that this is your word. You have breathed it out. You've, by your spirit, worked in the heart of Peter, given him your word, and he's written it down at a certain time and a certain place. Uh, and now we trust that it's relevant, so relevant for us today. So, Father, we ask, please help us see Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Here's a key question. Uh, I think it's worth ask, asking from time to time. What stops people from becoming Christians. Think now of people that you know who are not Christians. What stops them? What prevents them? It could be for you uh, today. If you're not a Christian, uh, you might quite easily say, this is why I'm not a Christian, because X, Y, and Z. Some people say it's just weird. It's just too odd. It's not even anywhere near my worldview of life. Perhaps others would say it's totally irrelevant. It has no bearing at all on my life today. Others would say it cannot possibly be true. Perhaps some might say, I kind of get it and I get the logic and it could be true, but do you know it's too much for me to trust in to change life because I know that that's the inevitability of following this truth, my life would have to change and I don't want to give up some of the things that I know I would have to. Perhaps a closer question for us here this afternoon at Town Church. Why do people stop being Christians? Perhaps there'd be a similar pattern. It doesn't have huge relevance on my life. Drifting uh, out of believing. Maybe it's too tough. It's just too tough being different. I'm the odd one out and I don't like it. Do you know, my friends just think I'm an idiot. Prevents me from having a good time. Or even hinders me from pursuing the relationships that I really want to. Why do people stop being Christians. See here, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are scattered. We've heard that every single week. Scattered in the province of modern-day Turkey, all over the place, because of persecution. And you see Peter, right at the beginning of his letter, uh, of his book, <laughs> he wants to remind them straight away, straight away, what the gospel is. Johnny's already read it. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Rebecca's already read it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My friend in exile, my friend who's a stranger in the world without a home, 
here's what you have in Jesus. But it's not going to be easy. You see, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. It's not going to be easy, but we've now got living hope. And remember a couple of weeks ago, kind of the, the pivotal point in Peter's letter, 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. No, 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 it's not going to be easy, Christian. You've got this new birth that's given you a living hope. But it will not be easy because there are two battles going on. One, an, ex an internal battle. Abstain from sinful desires, says Peter in those verses 11 to 12. Passions of the flesh, those things that used to rule. I was in junior church that day and we just said, say no. It was the easiest thing to do with them. To draw a picture of a man or a girl or a boy. Big heart that had been changed. Now you've got the ability to just say no. To abstain from sinful desires. There's a battle raging, an internal battle that rages in the heart of the believer. Just say no with the new heart that God has given you. And also there's an external battle, an internal battle going on inside. And an external battle with the world. Because the world will stand and stare and accuse. So in light of that, how do we live today? In light of suffering as a Christian, picking up from what Simon was teaching us last week, in light of suffering for being a Christian, in some places of the world far more visible than in others, how do we live today? Peter goes on in his letter, say you live new birth, living hope. You've got new identities. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We've looked at that. And then we come to 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Here's Peter's top line for today. Go and adopt a pattern like the Lord Jesus for living. Go and adopt a pattern of the Lord Jesus for living. Here's the first point, living hope in the will of God, verses 1 to 6. So keep your Bibles open and follow. Dig deep. Make sure that what you're reading is what I'm saying and vice versa. So it's not just words from me, but it's God's word. And hopefully I'm just helping us move along and understand it a little bit better as the Spirit does his work in our hearts. Point one, living hope in the will of God. Let me read again, 4 verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Therefore, therefore a connecting word. Something that's happened previously, Peter desperately wants to connect what's gone on before with now. Therefore, 3 verse 18, remember 3 verse 18? Hugely significant. For Christ also suffered once for sins. 
the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit was 3.18. Now in 4 verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, reminder of verse 18, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Remember the death of Jesus. Remember how he suffered. Now arm yourselves with that same attitude. And you see what the same attitude is? He is done with sin. See those words? Done with sin. Sin no longer reigns. For if you suffer as Jesus did, as you suffer for being a Christian, for following him, then surely you are done with sin. Sin no longer reigns in your heart. You follow a new master. Your master is the Lord Jesus who has gone before you. And look at verse 2. Here's the wonderful outcome. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. As if you suffer as a Christian, you stand up for something that really matters. You're saying, remember Jesus, the righteous Son of God who gave himself for you, who suffered unto death in your place. I've signed up for that as a Christian. And so therefore, I do not live my life, the rest of my earthly life, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Wouldn't that be a great phrase? Someone would say that of me. See, Lanks, he's done with sin. See, Lanks, sin no longer reigns and rules in his heart. Look at verse 3, it's just a catalogue of sin. A, a catalogue, words that are grim. And hey, this is no longer a pattern for life. It's not. I've got a friend. I've got several friends who struggle with these kind of sins. Of course, I do on one hand and praise God, no longer my master, but I give in and we give in. And here Peter's saying, yes, we give in. He's not even mentioning that. He's just saying, listen, don't let them reign. Don't let them rule. For us to say it is done with. Sin is done with. I've got a few pals, guys, who struggle, really struggle with lust. And we talk regularly what it looks like to be done with lust, done with sin. And here's one guy in particular. Walked with him for four or five years now. The sheer liberation. You know, he's done with sin. He now knows that lust is no longer his master. He's cracked it. He knows that only the power of the Spirit working in him has cracked it. And there's utter joy. And there's utter freedom. 
and he lives for the Lord Jesus and he's married with a child and life makes sense. And Peter's saying, do you see this? Your focus has changed. Your desire has changed. You no longer live for the evil desires, but you now live for the will of God. That comes at a cost sometimes. Look at verse 4. He picks it up. The world around can heap abuse towards the Christian for the change in life, for the change of living sinful, reckless lives and turning attention uh, to the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 4. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. I remember in my last year of university, I became a Christian. I remember vividly with my friends, telling them, inviting them to my baptism. I remember them coming along. And then after that, heaping abuse on me. Now, it was all a bit of banter, but um, one or two of them just could not get it could not understand that the things that I used to do and live for had changed. And this was their favourite phrase. Lanks, you see you, you've changed. You've changed. And it would come out frequently, you've changed. And at first it used to grate me. Nah, I haven't changed. I'm still Lanks. But you know what? It was a real commendation. Of something that had gone on in the heart. I had changed. Completely changed. Yes, I had. I'd been given a new heart. Sin was no longer my master. And I could look at suffering the way Jesus looked at it. The Jesus way. Look at sin the Jesus way. And you see, that's what Peter's driving at for the Christian. He lives to a different drumbeat. Look at the seriousness of the situation of those that are not in Christ, picking up at verse 5. They will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. See Peter saying, for the Christian, it's hard. And you will get people who heap insults at you for the change of priority, for the change of lifestyle. But it's way worse for the person who is not in Christ, who does not trust. Everyone will give an account. Everyone. Peter says the living and those who have died, it's totally inclusive. Here's the message he's laying out that judgment awaits it does it awaits back to the original question isn't this a key reason why people don't become christians of course judgment isn't a reality the judgment of god judging my life nah isn't this perhaps a good reason why people give up being christians they lose a conviction that God is God and God has created and God has given life out of goodness and God will one day 
ask for an account. And everything the Bible tells me says that I do not live up to the level, the standard of God's glory. There's nothing that I can do in my own merit. There's no goodness that I bring to Him. It's only Christ and what He does. Heard it from John so clearly. It's only Christ and what He does. And Peter's saying, so much rather be in Christ than have insults heaped than waiting the judgment of God without an answer to life. Remember Jim Elliot, a missionary who died at 28. He's come out with some brilliant quotes. Here's one, you might recognize it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The preciousness of life that will come under the judgment of God. But a new heart cannot lose. And it does give living hope. Living hope in the will of God, verses 1 to 6. And then secondly, living hope for the glory of God. Did you see that? 7 to 11. Look at verse 7, the beginning. The end of all things is near. Crucial for Peter. We've just heard him say about the judgment. But, but Peter reminds the Christians that we're living in the end times. These are the end days. Of course, the coming of God wasn't imminent in Peter's day. But rather, once Christ had died... And rose again and ascended into heaven. That ushered in the last days. We're walking in the last days. God's judgment is coming. It can come at any moment. We're walking in the last days. And in light of the coming of Jesus, our priorities should change. And verses 1 to 6 is all about living out this life, this living hope in front of the world. And verses 7 to 11 living out this hope, the Jesus way, in church. And there are three key things that Peter talks about. Three key things. And Peter's saying, hey, now you're a Christian, it's not a question of letting go and let God. No, no, the Christian now is all about intentional, sacrificial living. Living out the hope that they now have with the new hearts that they've been given. It's intentional living. It's not just saying, hey, I'm going to let go and let God have all control and live me out. No, no. Peter's saying you've been given a new heart. The Spirit lives within you. Now go and live intentionally. And here are three intentional ways, I think, that can apply brilliantly to us at Town Church. Look at verse 7. It's about the way we pray. Point one, how we live for the glory of God. It's the way we pray. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Living for the will of God and living for the glory of God starts in the mind. Think straight. Self-controlled lives so that we may pray. Do you see that link? If I think straight, I comprehend who I am. And I comprehend my circumstance. Uh, and the control then means that I need to pray. I just will pray when I'm thinking straight. 
because I see a prioritization in prayer. I see that I'm totally dependent on God for all things. Be alert and be sober of mind. That will mean that I pray. I'm not dependent on my cleverness, even on my discipline. No, we aim to be alert so that we may prioritize prayer. Simple praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know it always. The Lord's Prayer. To be alert and sober of mind so that we may pray. Do you know what a great encouragement was on Wednesday night? 24 people at Town Church Vista came to pizza and prayer. 24 including little Nathaniel. Counts in the numbers. We don't do it for a jolly. We don't do it because we think we must. We do it because with a sober mind and a self-controlled life, we know that we must pray because we need to pray because we're totally dependent on God for all things. Keep prioritizing Wednesday nights once a month. Pizza and prayer. Keep coming on Friday mornings. I think we hit our all-time record nine. Fabulous. If you can make it, come on Friday morning and pray because we're totally dependent on God. There's the first thing in living out this hope for the glory of God. Secondly, look at that, the way we love, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love each other deep, deeply. See those words? It simply means at full stretch. Love each other at full stretch. So love and keep loving and then love when you can't love anymore at full stretch, like a tight elastic band. And when we love, we forget our shortcomings. Isn't that right? Look, it covers over a multitude of sins. When we love, we stop picking fault with people. It's quite incredible. Whereas in the past, we might say, oh, I'll tell you what, I don't like the way so-and-so does that. Or we gossip quite readily behind someone's back about another person. Do you know, when we love at full stretch, it stops us from picking fault. covers over a multitude of sin. And here it is grounded in a specific way. See verse 9? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Are we a church marked out by hospitality? Now again, not out of begrudging duty. Joy to open up lives and homes. I think we are. I think we're a church that says, I want to share life. And I want people to come over. And listen, I'm, I'm pretty conscious that I'm not a Michelin star chef. And we don't have to be. But what I'm deeply bothered about is getting a cup of tea with a pal, maybe a biscuit, a bourbon, and just chatting. Hospitality, come, hang out. Fancy a beer Monday night? Let's go for a beer. Fancy a chat? Fancy a talk? Really looking forward to the church weekend away. Like to share lives together for a weekend. Offer hospitality. 
What does that look like in our life at Town Church? And here's the third way, living hope to glorify God. The way we serve, look at verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Look, various forms. Service in various forms, in various ways. That word various, multicolored ways of grace. Grace-filled service. It's like the rainbow effect, Peter's saying. This is what it looks like to be a part of a church, a part of a body that serves, that thinks about the other person. Teach God's word, just two examples. Teach God's word with responsibility, using serving gifts to bless others. Are we a church that desires to serve each other? And Peter ends that little section, says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is what it looks like, a living hope for the glory of God, a church. It's marked out by the way we pray. It's marked out by the way we love. It's marked out by the way we serve. And look briefly, third point, live in hope in light of suffering. Peter's all about this. We know from the very first verses in Peter, Simon came, spoke on it last week. Look, this is living hope in a hopeless world. Let's just touch on this a little bit. Verse 12, 13, do not be surprised. Verse 13 says, rejoice if you participate in suffering for the name of Jesus. 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ. Do you know globally, today, over 245 million Christians face high levels of persecution. 245 million Christians. And you know, the UK Foreign Secretary today, Jeremy Hunt, has announced a review into how the UK government supports and treats persecuted Christians worldwide. We know of it. It's just not that well publicised. And here's the question, as 245 million Christians today are being persecuted, are we ready to suffer for what we believe at Town Church Vista? Perhaps it's coming. Perhaps suffering for our faith is really coming. And how will we respond to a culture that John described it? is liberal in its viewpoint, is accepting of all things, that doesn't believe in a God, that doesn't believe that one day we will be judged. What do we do when the world points the finger and starts having a go at town church? Because it's coming. Rico Tice, in his book that many of you are reading, Honest Evangelism, in chapter 4, says this, When we know we are the children of God, we don't fear the rejection of others. Why? We're loved by the creator of the world. We don't fear their mockery because the maker of the cosmos thinks well of us. We don't fear their withholding of a favour or a promotion in the workplace 
or anything else. Why? Because we're heading to glory. Look at verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. What does it look like, a living hope in light of suffering as a Christian? To be fair, I don't really know personally. I don't think I really know. University, I got the mick taken out of me a little bit. In the running club, there's a bit of banter flying around. But I don't really know what it looks like to live as a persecuted Christian. But I want to be ready. I want to be ready when it comes. And Peter speaks right into the heart. It's not coming, it's come. It's already there. They're scattered, they're exiles, they're homeless. And they're being persecuted all over the place. Thousands of Christians will have died for their faith this year. Thousands. Only a few make the news. What does it look like to be ready? Peter says, here, be ready. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. Continue to do good with a changed heart that ushers in a living hope <laughs> with the king of the universe now in charge of me and my future. Peter says, go. Go and live out your living hope. Live it out in the will of God. Live out your hope for the glory of God. Live out your hope in light of suffering. We're going to stand, if we're able, and we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song uh, that titles, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Verse 2 is quite something. Sing this song um, as though when it comes persecution, and of course you might be suffering it in your workplace, and I don't want to undermine uh, any of us that are going through that. Here's verse 2. Strong defender of my weary heart, my sword to fight the cruel deceiver, and my shield against his hateful darts. My song when enemies surround me, my hope when tides of sorrow rise, my joy when trials are abounding, your faithfulness my refuge in the night. Why don't we stand, sing this song, then we're just going to have a couple of minutes just to turn it over uh, and think about some questions together. Let's stand if we're able and sing.